Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Mark Santum. All right, good morning, y'all. In case you're new or um, have just been uh, with us for a few weeks, uh, I'll remind you our senior pastor, Steve Keller. He is with uh, the Ghana team over in Africa. They've been there for a full week now. So it was a real blessing because of the... um, potential hurricane uh, that never really hit us, they were in jeopardy of having to uh, reschedule their flights, which would have shortened their ministry time there. So that was just a real blessing for all kinds of uh, reasons in in regards to the trip. They were able to leave on time, and they will be returning, I think, late on Tuesday night, which means they should be back on Eastern um, Standard Time probably in three months. So it'd be great. So be gracious to them. Uh, and you see, I think next week, whenever Steve returns to the pulpit, I think he'll be uh, preaching one of the same messages that he's preaching in Ghana. So we'll be able to kind of be a part of, uh, of all of the action that's going on there. So I th- he probably will even be preaching there today. Um, anyhow, so Steve, primarily, with a little help from the own myself, we have been journeying through the book of Romans uh, for, it seems like a long time, but that's a good thing, right? You want to take your time, especially through a dense book like Romans. Um, you'll see that uh, from chapters 1 to 11, there's been some really rich, deep theological stuff. Uh, we've learned uh, and talked about things like original sin, the doctrine of salvation, namely justification, uh, the paradox, that tension between God's sovereign and divine election, and then over here on this side, uh, the human responsibility uh, and human free will. Um, we talked about the destiny of Israel uh, most recently. So when you think of all of those components, I think that one fair phrase that could um, summarize all of that would be the mercy of God. Amen? The mercy of God. So when we arrive to Romans chapter 12, that's where Paul starts with those exact words. In view of God's mercy, offer your lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Don't you hate whenever you have a bad view of things? How many of you have ever been like in a movie theater and some guy from the local basketball team sits in front of you? And... Um, you know, you are, you know, you're at a concert, you paid a lot of money for it, and people are standing up, waving their phones, you're like, yay, I'm just trying to see here. Um, it's really, it's really tough to have a bad view. Can you imagine going to the Grand Canyon, and then having like, you know, the San Antonio Spurs all standing in front of you, like, hey, I can't see. So having a bad view really stinks, right? So the reason I say that is this. Um, if you are having trouble, like I do oftentimes, offering your life as a living sacrifice unto God. Maybe you need to get a better view because there's just something about viewing the gravity and the grandeur of God's mercy that naturally, or I should say supernaturally, inspires a reciprocation uh, where we would offer our bodies and our lives as a living sacrifice. So maybe some of y'all just need a better view, right? You need to get your head out of your own life and and, and, in the worldliness and get a good view of God's grandeur. It is like going to the Grand Canyon. How many have been to the Grand Canyon? How many have been to Yosemite, which is probably the most breathtaking place I've been to in the States? When you see that kind of grandeur, it takes your breath away. But there's a natural response. You just, if you ever want to, if you never thought about singing How Great Thou Art in public, just go to places like this, and you will just begin uh, to pour out your heart. It just elicits these natural responses from us. 
In Luke 7, uh, when Jesus uh, had his feet washed um, with perfume from the sinful woman, he said this. He said, those who have been forgiven much love much, right? So there's a principle there because for all of us, you know, theologically speaking, uh, we've all been forgiven the same amount, a mountain of debt uh, that, that was damnable for us. And Jesus had forgiven it all. So I think we could be, for our purposes here today, we could say that those who realize that they have been forgiven much, love much. Because you all have, it's a fact. But not all of us realize it, right? And so those who realize that we have been, given for, have been forgiven much, we love much. And that's a good thing for us today because what? Guess what today? We're, we're, we're talking about love. That's a good thing. Um, and remember, church, the world will know we are Christians by our what? Yeah. Just look at this list. You can say amen or oh me, right? They will know we are Christians, not by any of those things, but they will know we are Christians by our love. This morning, we'll take a look at the rest of uh, chapter 12, and we'll see how God, in some very practical ways, wants us to offer our bodies and lives as a living sacrifice of love. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we love you. Lord, my first prayer today is that we would have a view of your mercy. Lord, let it be breathtaking, just like we're we're, we're, we're looking at Yosemite for the first time. Lord, would you re-instill in us that sense of awe and wonder at the gravity and the grandeur of your mercy. And then in response, we would not help but be able to, to live lives of thanksgiving, lives of grace, and lives of love, as Paul will teach us here today in Romans chapter 12. And Lord, we are going to take a, a look at ourselves, our own lives, to see um, how, how we fare, Lord, in, in, in our ability, our current ability to love our brothers and sisters and to love those outside the church. So Lord, we, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come, because if, if you're not here, Holy Spirit, then we might as well just close up shop right now. Holy Spirit, come and, and uh, help me uh, to faithfully deliver and help the hearers to faithfully hear and to receive. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Well, our passage today um, starts off with one loaded admonition. Paul says, before he goes through um, the verses in 9 through 21, he starts off by saying, let love be genuine. Um, Let love be sincere. Let love be authentic. In short, Paul's saying love must be the real deal. It's got to be the real deal, not these uh, half-hearted versions that we settle for. So here's a Burger King Whopper right there. I'm going to tell you a, uh, a story about a real deal. My friend Sam, I went to college with him. He's just a great guy. He, he told me this most short and entertaining story that was also profound. He doesn't go out to, fast food, uh, to eat fast food much because, you know, his wife won't let him. All right. How many husbands feel... How many husbands have to hide your cookout receipts, right, from your wife every now and then? I got a whole stack of them there. So he goes into a Burger King one time by himself, and he goes up, and it wasn't very crowded. He goes up to the woman, and he goes, I'd I'd like to get a Whopper. And he goes, but here's the thing. He's like, I want it to look like that up in the picture. She's like, excuse me? He's like, "I, I want a Whopper, but I want it to look like that. I never had one that looked like that. Can you do that? And she goes, I... Uh, 
And no one has ever asked that before. She goes, hold on. So she goes back to the cook and uh, tells him. And then the cook comes out to the counter and goes, so what do you want? And he goes, I, I want a Whopper. I want it to look like that. Can you do it? And so the, the cook look, turns around and looks at the picture like he's seeing it for the first time. Like, <laughs> he, goes, he looks at him and he goes, I, I think I can do that. And Sam's like, great. So the cook goes back and spends, you know, a couple extra minutes. And so Sam's like, and they come out and they serve it to him on a plate. <laughs> and it looks just like in the picture. And he goes, boom. And, he, and Sam looks and goes, looks at the picture and goes, that, my friend, is the real deal. <laughs> and the cook said, the cook actually took time to thank him and said, you know what? Thank you for raising the bar. Because he didn't feel like a sandwich artist by any stretch. He just flopped it in. He all got one of those. And, uh, and, and, and so he raised the bar, and they celebrated together the fact that they were eating the real deal the way it's supposed to look, right? <laughs> so let that be our new picture of love. Every time you eat a Whopper, there's your object lesson, right? So to be truer to the, uh, the original uh, Greek meaning, uh, when Paul says, let love be sincere, it should be let love be without hypocrisy. Which Paul is saying, don't be phony, don't smile on the outside, and despise on the inside. Don't add to the veneer of niceties and pleasantries. Oh, that is a killer in church culture, right? How you doing today, brother? Oh, too blessed to be stressed. Now, if you say anything, that's fine. But you, you understand what I'm saying? That we can be so mannerly, so polite, that it's just all exterior and inside we're seething with hurt and woundedness, Right? And um, Paul's like, we, we can't have that. The gospel is too weighty to just be polite and nice and have a veneer or a, a, uh, a, a sham of love. Paul says, don't look, don't love to look good in front of others, and don't love just to feel good about yourself. These are all versions of the whopper that you normally get, right? They're not the real deal. You know, I think perhaps Paul states this because it complements what he wrote back in, uh, in Romans uh, 12.3. If you do have your Bibles open, you can look in there. Um, he says, don't think of yourselves too highly, more highly than you should, but rather with sober judgment. So a hypocrite endeavors to make his outside look better than the inside, right? That's what a hypocrite does. They want the praise, they want respect, they want honor, and they don't want to work for it. Jesus called these Pharisees um, whitewashed tombs. They were full of what? Dead man's bones. So Paul was reminding us of the greatest obstacle to love, like the real deal. And what is that greatest obstacle? It's us. Do you remember, um, uh, I couldn't remember who said this, but American cartoonist Walt Kelly said this, I have met the enemy, and he is us. So Paul is saying, you have to get out of your own way, because if love is going to have its real expression, you know what? Jesus is going, to be, have to, is going to be the one driving this train, right? It is not going to be us in our own flesh. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean uh, if, if love's got to be genuine and sincere and non-hypocritical? Does this mean that my feelings and motivations for love for someone, they have to be 100% pure or else I can't engage in love? Is that what that means? If that's the case, ladies and gentlemen, there ain't much love going to be going on in this house. Because how many of you are 100% pure? But that's, that, 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 that can be a misunderstanding. This it does get misunderstood, particularly in a culture now where feelings uh, are predominant. Authenticity kind of rules the day. They'll say, well, I don't really feel like it. 
if it's going to be fake, it's going to be hypocritical, uh, I'm just not going to even try to love because, you know, I like to keep it real. All right? It can be that kind of an attitude. So um, in the name of keeping it real and sincere and authentic, I'm not going to just walk through any fake motions of love. So when it comes to loving then, authentic inactivity trumps inauthentic action, right? It seems to make sense from that warped, twisted view. So my question is, is this kind of thinking correct? Survey says... There we go. <laughs> Hair side, we worked on that. There we go. All right, that is, that is wrong. So if any of you think, well, you know what, I just, I just can't out there. I feel like I'm going to be a phony if I try to love. So I'm just not going to do it. That is not what Paul is saying here. Heaven forbid that's not what Paul is saying. He is saying this. Failing to love others for whatever reason is the act of hypocrisy. For we are not being true to who we really are. Love is part of our spiritual DNA. God is love. Christ is love. And to say, I am a follower of this God of love, but I'm not going to show it. Oh my gosh, the hypocrisy there is astounding. And there's no wonder people would just run from the church if they come to visit. We cannot, uh, we cannot take uh, this, admonition, this admonition in a twisted way. I think that the mandate to the Christian family is to love one another and to those outside of the faith as best we can with each opportunity we have, no matter how great or how small. And we love regardless of how we feel. Now, feelings are a blessing. They are a gift from God, but they tend to make better servants than they do masters. Am I right? All right. So here's a recommendation. Here's this is practical. Here's a recommendation on how you should proceed to love somebody that you don't feel like loving. So just I just need a little affirmation here. How many of you have at least one person in your life that you don't feel like loving? You're not inspired to love. All right. See, God bless you because you're being honest and true. And those of you who didn't raise your hand, now you have a problem with lying. So pray <laughs> for that. Tim Keller, I wrote, I love what he said. He says, show love as you repent. He said, sir, and not my words are, serve others, love others while you have that view of God's mercy. Because guess what? That'll keep us so humble. It'll keep us so humble. Um, you should love others that you don't feel like loving. Uh, while, just remember that while we were still unattractive, selfish, rebel orphans, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. And so I just like even crafted a little prayer here. This is a, even as you, as you love and serve, you can pray a simple prayer like this. Right, you know, again, this isn't verbatim. This is just a, a, one example. Lord, work repentance in me. Fill me with your love for others. Purge me of self-centeredness and callousness. Meet me where I am now in view of your great mercy and your love for me. May I be a grace-filled extension of your love to others. And be patient as your love has its perfect work in me. We are all in process, fellas and ladies. Do not apologize for that. All right, we are all in process. And you know what, I, you know what the great thing about uh, the work of love is? Be sanctified. I think Paul would say, be sanctified as you love one another. You see, love is a part of sanctification, not just a result of it. 
So the fiery furnace of sanctification requires you to love others that are difficult to love and to love well, as we'll uh, grade ourselves here shortly. So nobody's off the hook to love. Nobody can say, you know what, Mark, I've kind of been hurt. I I pulled my hamstring of love. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit on the sidelines till I heal up 100%. And then once I'm healed, I'm going to come back in the game. Yeah, that's not how it works. I wish that's how it worked. Right? If you wake up one morning and you feel like you can give 30%, guess what the Lord is saying to you? You give 30%. Because guess what? Tomorrow you'll be able to give 31. You can't just think about love and read about love and, and, and wait for God to sanctify you without actually loving. Loving is an action word. So get in there and God will sanctify you as you get in there and love, especially those that are difficult to love. So the truth, mom, is this. You will only become a great lover of others if you're first faithful to love in ways that are small and unnoticeable to most others. Speaking of truth, I love how Paul connects this idea of being genuine to the second half of this verse. He says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. So he's saying, hey, keep it sincere. And what I love about this is that sincerity, sincerity is connected to reality and reality is rooted in God's unchanging absolute truth with a capital T. In the spirit of speaking the truth in love, Paul reminds us that we can't really love others without being truly grounded in his word. If we're out there just giving people warm, fuzzy feelings about how good, hey, I'm okay, you're okay, man, we are not, that is the opposite of love. Remember, we live in a world that calls evil good and good evil. And the church, if we don't have our anchor in God's word to love with courage on truth with a capital T, we have lost the ship already. If we're going to love effectively, we, it must be from the unshakable foundation of God's absolute truth. Because his truth will shake people to the core. They might even be triggered, right? They might be offended, but it's a price well worth paying for them to have an encounter with the person of Jesus who is truth. Amen. Well, I love that. So what I'm going to do here is we're going to, um, we're going to get ready to, to see what Paul's core requirements of love are. Um, you do have a, a sheet that, was, that you were handed today. It has our uh, passage that I'm going to read real quickly. I just say we did look. I'm sorry about the, I don't know if it's the toner. We had some uh, printer issues. So the, the font isn't super legible. But I'm sure a lot of you have this passage memorized anyhow, so. Um, so let's just read it, and then we'll, we'll unpack it, and you get a chance to grade yourself today, all right? Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will be heaping burning coals upon his head. Do not overcome evil 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's the reading of God's word. Amen. Now, I've, I've, I've asked you to get uh, practical already, to, to really be able to engage the practicalities of love. But the more important question is this. Are you ready to look into the mirror of God's word? You know, in James, it talks about how God's word is a mirror. And a lot of us like to, when we get that mirror of our own heart, like, oh, I'm just going to close this book and I'm going to go watch Netflix. Thank you, Lord, for Netflix. Are we ready to do some good, honest self-evaluation? Oswald Chambers, uh, any of you guys love Oswald Chambers? All right. He's a good light read. Uh. <laughs> you read three sentences of him, like, I need to dwell on this for three weeks. But he, he, he gives an admonition, not for Christians, not to focus on their own whiteness. You guys remember that? So that means that because the Christian life isn't about navel-gazing and being so consumed, oh, how am I doing on the sanctification scale today? Uh, and you get so consumed with how well you're doing, you forget to look out and up to the God who, will, who is the one that sanctifies you, right? So I'm not asking you to, to be consumed with your own whiteness, but it is also very healthy, right, to not go to the other extreme and say, well, I'm never going to do any self-evaluation or self-reflection. We do that every time, you know, every time Neil has us come to the Lord's table. There's a time for reflection, and, that's, and, and it should be happening then, but not just once a month. And this is a good opportunity to do that. So are you ready uh, to get a little serious with yourself in regards to how you're doing in love? Are you ready to grade yourself? Or are you willing, or are you going to be pulling a Matthew Broderick? How many of you have ever seen that 1983 classic, War Games? Yeah. Not only does it uh, give our children a lesson in archaic technology, <laughs> uh, but it also speaks of our inherent tendency to want to change our own grades, right? To make ourselves look better than we are. So listen, you can do that, but uh, guess what? Jesus knows, right? Um, as we have discussed, there's too much at stake when it comes to love. Uh, when we follow in the footsteps of our loving Savior, we cannot be settling for a 2.0 GPA in love, right? We can't do that as there's too much at stake. By the way, this is a, the mandate to love. I mean, this is a course, one, that not only is it a core requirement, but is a class that you will never graduate from, all right? And if you do graduate, uh, we're going to have you come up here and be the pastor of this church. There you go. So to help you, uh, help you grade yourself... Um, we did include, so if you guys have those, those little sheets, I think mine, is mine down here, Neil? So uh, what we do is we gave you uh, on one side the, uh, pas the scriptural passage today. On the other side, we gave you something called love's report card. And so what we're going to do is there are, there are six, um, you know, we, we could spend days uh, on this whole passage, but I, I narrowed it down to six ways that you can grade yourself on love's report card. And, uh, and you have the opportunity to do that as honestly and candidly as possible, all right? Then what we can do is when you're done with this, you can um, take it home. You can meditate on it. It be good prayer, uh, prayer points where you say, Lord, see where I got an F? Yeah, I think we're going to need to pray about that, right? And some of you uh, will have great grades, but um, I think this will be a good sobering opportunity for us to get real uh, in, um, in our measuring of how we're doing in the area of love. So, let the grading commence, shall we? All right, so uh, let's look at the first uh, category there. This comes from verses 10 through 13, where Paul writes, uh, where it's, this is summarized, where you, we are to love 
honor and serve those in your spiritual family. What he also writes to the Galatians is this. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially, everyone say especially. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So here's the deal. If you're, if you're on a ship and it hits an iceberg and it starts taking in water and the ship starts going down, who should you take care of first? You got kids on the ship, you better go get your kids, right? Because if you do survive that, you'll be shunned for the rest of your life, right? Like uh, my mom, yeah, she went after these strangers and she forgot about us. It's okay to take care of your own first. It really is. Not, not necessarily at the expense of others and that kind of a, well, I only take care, but you take care of them first, as the scriptures say. Um, but we need to begin to see our spiritual brothers and sisters in that same light, hold them dearly as we do our own flesh and blood. So to, if you're going to love, honor, and serve them, if, to love them, is there a default setting in you that just wants to sacrifice for those in your natural family and for those here in KPC? Are you looking ways to sacrifice? Because that's what love is. If it doesn't hurt, I don't know how much love is, uh, is being expressed. And to honor them, do you operate in a culture and uh, an ethos of honor? In your house, in this church, there's rules by which you play where you honor people and you respect them. I'm not going to cross this line. I'm not going to gossip about them. You develop a real culture of honor, and there, there's, there's a lot written about that. It's a beautiful uh, community in which to live. And you want to serve, and are you serving them? By serving, that means what are you doing? Everybody say doing. doing. Listen, if, you, if a lot of us actually did all the stuff, that we thought about doing and serving others, boy, it would be an amazing place. But you don't get points for thinking about serving. You only get points for actually serving. So I love this quote. Your deeds speak so loudly that I cannot hear your words. That should be the expression of all Christians. Now, that could cut both ways, right? Um, but in, in this culture of love, um, it should be in the spirit of 1 John 3. Beloved, let us not love in words or speech but in actions. All right, so uh, take a few seconds and grade yourself, A, B, C, D. You can use E or F, depending on how you grew up. Each, either E or F is, you know, bad, but, uh, but feel free to do that, and you can cover your answers. Please, no looking at your neighbor's sheets. All right, so you can grade there. The second one uh, comes from verse 11. Summarize, Paul is saying, if you want to be loving, be a blaze of heart. Another translation said this, never come in last in showing enthusiasm. Rather, be a glow with a spirit serving the Lord. Remember, we are not the source of our own Christian zeal, right? Left to ourselves, we will resist the spirit, we will quench the spirit, and we will grieve the spirit, right? That's what we do. Uh, that's our default. It is a spirit that acts as the furnace for our passion for God and our compassion for others. And if you need the Holy Spirit to fan that flame of passion and compassion, then that is your greatest prayer right there. Say, Lord, I feel like I just don't care. I feel like I walk around um, as, un as unenthused as a Cleveland Browns fan before last week. A faith that is not vibrant and passionate indicts itself as one that fails to speak to the deep issues of purpose, the deep waters of the heart, and the deep wonders of love. 
Christian zeal, let me just say this, Christian zeal and passion, enthusiasm, they do transcend personality type, right? They do. So don't say, well, I'm just not wired like that. I, I'm not wired like a Barry Logsdon, you know, loving everyone, always out there, life of the party, just the zeal of Jesus coming off of him, all right? Uh, and so some people are like, wow, I, I, I guess... I can't be like Barry, so I guess I'm not zealous at all. And that is not true at all. God, Lord knows this world needs more Barry Logsons. There's others of you like that in here. But there's also a lot of you here that aren't gregarious extroverts. You're introverts. You are never the life of the party, but you can still burn hotly. Did you ever meet an introvert, someone so quiet, but whenever you're with them, they burn hotly with the passion and the zeal of the Lord? You know, There's a lot of people in here. If you, if you want to meet one, I'll introduce you to Steve Schmitter. Amen? All right, that guy always avoids the spotlight, but when you get with him, man, you can just feel the, the zeal and the passion for the Lord come out. So here's a question. Are you, are you more zealous for Christian love than you are for your favorite NFL team, for your cherished hobby, for your hours of playing Fortnite, for, for your 9-to-5 job, or for your most, politi- most important political cause? Are those the things that, that you're most zealous about in Christian love takes a back seat? Well, if so, this is a good prayer. The Lord would help reorient your heart. All right. Well, why don't you take a few seconds and grade yourself there on uh, the second class, the Be a Blaze of Heart, and then we'll move on to verse 12. It's a third category. Verse 12 uh, summarizes, be joyful, faithful, and prayerful. Summarized. It's hard to summarize some of these because they're just so loaded. Do you realize how loving you are to those around you when you are the following things? Joyful, not jaded. Faithful, not wishy-washy. Patient, not anxious. And prayerful, not prayerless. Just imagine yourself now. What if you were around a dozen people for a month that were, they were all joyful, faithful, patient, and prayerful. Can you, imagine, can you imagine how your love tank would be overflowing after one month with these folks? Now, imagine you, were, you had to hang out with a month for 10 people that were jaded, inconsistent, wishy-washy, anxious, and prayerless. That'd be like, I don't know, what do they call that in jail? It's like being thrown in the hole for a month. You'd come out and like, oh, man, my, just, let me just end my life now. You understand your obligation of love. To be, to be loving is to be joyful, to be faithful, patient, and prayerful. To love others is to spread your contagious joy. Don't drain them with your drama. Gosh, there's so much drama here. Quit draining people with your drama and love them. Lift them up. Don't pull them down. To love others is to be a rock of stability for them. Faithful, persistent, and patient. Don't you just love the rocks in your life, those people that are unshakable? That is an act of love. To love others is to pray for them earnestly and consistency, consistently, like a Kathy Doherty, right? I love what William Law said. There is nothing that makes us love others so much as praying for them. So if there's someone that you just do not love, you don't want any part of them, if you're not praying for them, it's never going to get better. But the Lord, in his paradoxical way, you pray for those that drive you crazy, get under your skin that you don't love, and you just see the transformation happen in the heart by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Go ahead and grade yourself there on, uh, on that category, on the third one. Look at that. We're halfway through. Next one, we're going to 
verse 15, if you have to summarize that, I actually did a whole sermon on this about a year ago. Um, if you uh, want to hear more, you can go back in the archives. But here's the deal. Celebrate and mourn appropriately. Ecclesiastes 3 reminds us that there is a season and occasion for everything. A wise person knows which season it is and acts accordingly. It says a lot about Christian character there, when you know the right thing to do at the right time. Um, this verse, I love this verse, in Proverbs 27, 14 says this, A loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning will be taken as a curse. All right? And the reason that's so good, because a, a cheerful greeting is a good thing, right? But the manner of the delivery or the timing of the delivery turns it into a curse. You flip it upside down. So a wise man knows, oh, yeah, okay, when I greet someone, it shouldn't be at 5.55 a.m. at the top of my lungs. Because, well, I, I, I said, I, I said a, a nice thing. But you understand there's more to it than that. Um, so in just, a quick, you know, just a quick aside, when you speak the truth of God's word, you have a responsibility to deliver it in love, or it will be taken as a curse. You, don't, you can't say, well, I just gave them the truth of God's word, and so that's on them. That's completely, they, they rejected God, not me. That is not true. You have a responsibility. We are the living epistles. You are an ambassador. If, you, if, if a king sends you out as an ambassador and you just go and, and you deliver it without respect, guess who that reflects on? On Jesus. So the manner in which we, we give the truth is just as important as the truth. They are, they are, inextri- they are inex- ex- not inexplicable, inextricable. All right. I will give you the correct word later on this week. They go together. All right, that's my little uh, aside. But sacrificially celebrating um, things when good people happen to Because in life, that's just life. There are people that are up and there are people that are down. There are people that are going through some great times now that they deserve to be celebrated. Like when someone graduates, gets married, or has a baby. All right, Shiloh, coming up in a few weeks. Or maybe tonight, I don't know. Um, when people get a new job, Aaron, congratulations on getting that new job. That's awesome, right? You get a new job, you celebrate with someone, someone writes a book, quits smoking, they come to faith, they finish a 5K, they get their driver's license, they have a birthday, right? Now, we have a birthday, all you did is not die for a year, but you know what? It's something. It's worthy to celebrate. But one of the saddest things is to celebrate a milestone alone. How many of you have ever had to do that? Celebrate a milestone all by yourself. That's not right. And that's not part of kingdom love. And why don't we celebrate others? A lot of times we just lack of effort, lack of time. We try to find time instead of making it. But a lot of times it's envy or jealousy, right? How many times you ever have something good happen to someone else? Hey, do you hear um, so-and-so got a promotion? Oh, or where's my promotion? I work harder than she does. Hmm? Oh, they got, oh, someone, do you hear someone just got that inheritance? They got like $20,000 from a, a dead relative. Oh, I don't have any rich relatives. You understand that default right there? That is not love. You should be race, even though you wish you had that promotion, you wish you had that $20,000. You put that aside and you say, come here. I am so happy for you. And you celebrate with them. That is a beautiful part of Christian love that we all need to do better at. And then, then there are people that are down, sacrificially mourning when bad things happen. Loss of a loved one, a job, a relationship. Someone that's sick, they're injured, depressed, or some kind of failure. Why don't we mourn with them well? Again, a lot of times because we don't make the time. We try to find it. Life is busy. We don't make the effort. 
A lot of times it's, again, it's self-centeredness. It's a heart, callousness of heart. Like, oh, did you hear so-and-so? Yeah, yeah, they lost their job. Oh, wow. Mm. Better him than me, I guess. You know, that kind of an attitude. And a lot of us, not only can we not muster any sympathy, you know, we have no empathy toward them, and there's just apathy. So it's, it, while it's bad to, reju- to celebrate a milestone alone, it's even worse to mourn alone. So find the ones that are hurting, even if it's a small word, writing a card, doing something, like I'm here for you. You don't have to say nice platitudes, just be there for them, the ministry of presence. Let's remember, we serve a God that knows how to do both. We, know how to, we serve a God that knows how to throw a party for the repentance of one sinner. But we also serve a God that, uh, as our great high priest, feels our pain and collects every tear in a bottle. So let's journey into his heart and do likewise. Amen. All right. Give you a few seconds to grade yourself on that. All right. And then we'll do these last two. Verses 16 through 18 is get low for peace's sake. Not for Pete's sake. You can get low for Pete's sake too because he'll always, he'll always take a bunch of uh, humble folks to help him out. Get low for peace's sake. Paul plays the role of Captain Obvious here and he says the key to living in harmony with others is to be humble. So get off your haughty horse of high-handedness, right? And get down and get low, right? Um, he says, be humble, be gracious, get low for the sake of peace. Humility breeds peace. Don't be the instigator of chaos. I'm telling you, if there's, if there's a disruption of the peace, it should not be because someone from the body of Christ is stirring that up. So Paul says, don't be an instigator of discord or chaos. But whenever you see chaos, you walk into that chaos and you be, you be, uh, be a bringer of peace, be a bearer of shalom into that chaos or to that discord. What a great ministry of the church. What a great way to show love. The message says this. Get along with one another. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies and don't be the great somebody. Look at the people in your life. Like, When was the last time you befriended somebody that others have rejected? Maybe someone that was different than you, different race or socioeconomic status. Someone who feels forgotten. Someone who the world has stripped of honor. There should, be some, there should always be those people in our lives. No one should be, oh, well, somebody else will. Somebody else will bless them. Somebody else will honor them. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us these people that have been robbed of honor, that we need to go out of our way and show them special honor. That's not showing favoritism because here's, the, you know, here's the, the, um, the level playing field, right? And so if there's somebody down here, our job is to lift them up and get with everyone else, all right? By the way, no one here, uh, there's because there's always the people that are up here because they're on their high horse of high-handedness, right? Yeah. And a lot of you, uh, not a lot of you, no one in this church does. Some people, ever meet somebody who has a ministry of humbling people? That's God's gift to me. I humble people. I don't lift people up. I just bring them down a notch. That's what I do. Some people are pretty good at it. I'm not saying that the Lord has sanctioned that. But uh, that is our, so we get low with those who are down and lowly, and we lift them up in humility. Amen. All right, well, go ahead and grade yourself on that, and then we'll tackle this last one. Get low for peace's sake. And finally, this comes from a, a number of verses, 14, 17, and then 19 through 21. Paul says, bless and do good, don't curse and get even. 
These five verses, to put it mildly, go against the grain of Roman culture, uh, the, the very culture that the Roman Christians were living in. And Paul says, hey, there's a higher standard of love. There's the real deal of love, and we have to take the high road. I'm going to show you what it is, because they live in a culture where, boy, you were able to get even, and you could get even with a vengeance. Paul said, we cannot play by the world's rules. So here lies the timeless problem for many Christians. We get hurt by others. That happened back when Paul wrote to the Romans. It happens today. People get bullied. Co-workers undermine each other to get ahead. Uh, People steal our possessions, identities, ideas, friends, and joy. Frenemies stab us in the back. They gossip. They slander. And other Christians steamroll over us. They shoot us. This friendly fire leaves us deeply hurt and offended. If I could see the metaphorical wounds and blood in this room now from all of the woundedness, it would be pretty sobering. There'd be blood all over the floor. People would be bleeding over your nice dress. I mean, there's a lot of us that are just hurting. So you understand whenever hurt happens to us, a lot of times we don't have any control over that. But what we do have control over is what? Our response to getting hurt. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, I can't help that you get hurt. But when you do... You have a choice to make. And unfortunately, what most of them were doing is that they chose to be vindictive. They chose vindictiveness. That, that is my response to being hurt. Paul says that, that, that can't be. In our misguided pain, we take matters into our own hands. We let offense, hurt, and unforgiveness get a foothold into our hearts. We repay evil with evil. We up a notch. We exact vengeance on those that hurt us. Or at all costs, we go to vindicate ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talked about all the lawsuits going on in the church. Paul says, why not be wronged? Why not be cheated? That is better than what you are doing in getting vengeance. Why not be wronged? When's the last time I said, you know what? I got wronged. I got cheated. But you know what? It's in the Lord's hands. I'm going to walk away and it's not going to have any power over me. That, my friend, is somebody that is walking in maturity. So Paul says to these things, emphatically, no, in verse 17, he says, don't repay evil for evil. And then the very last verse in the chapter says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If you hate the person who wronged you, guess what? That person has already won. If you repay evil with evil, then you have just lost the battle to evil. It's kind of like, oh, here comes the Lord of the Rings reference. I can't help myself. So Boromir and the Council of Elrond, right? You remember they were talking about what to do with the ring? And he says, let us use the enemy's weapon against him. So the ring of evil, the ring is pure evil. And he says, let's use this ring of evil to overcome evil, right? And, and like that, that doesn't sound right, but that's what we do, you know? And Aragorn had to say, you cannot wield that. You cannot wield that power. And that's what the Lord, is, that's what Paul is saying to us. You cannot, you cannot wield the power of evil in order to do good. You've got to lay down that ring because there is a better way. One of the greatest acts of faith, besides turning your adult, adult child loose into this world or trying to find street parking in Ghent on a Friday night, <laughs> is this. It's to leave room for God's wrath. Leave room for God's wrath. As it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. I will be the arbiter of justice. God will do it in his way, in his time. I think this goes for our desire for vindication as well. The desire to clear our name, when you're, the desire to clear your name when you've been wrongly accused of something, when that becomes more important to you than honoring the name of Jesus, something is wrong. 
Andrew Brunson, got his, uh, how many have Andrew Brunson bands on here, right? Andrew Brunson, a godly man, tell me though, as he sits accused of these ridiculous claims in, in a Turkish prison, tell me he doesn't want to get up and want to vindicate himself. He goes over there to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's being, he's, and he's being accused of, of being a traitor and being a part of this, uh, you know, this political uh, undermining system to overthrow the government. Stuff that he didn't care anything about. And all these charges are against him. He's in prison for it, separated uh, from his family. But someone like uh, an Andrew Brunson echoes the words of David in Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my name against an ungodly people. For those of you that spend so much time and effort trying to vindicate your own self, vindicate your name, take a lesson from Andrew. Take a lesson uh, from David in the Psalms and say, God, you are my vindicator. So Paul, in the, in the final passage here, Paul is quoting from, from the Proverbs. And he says, don't just cease and desist from seeking vengeance and vindication, but take a step further. Go on the offensive and actually reach out to those who have offended you. Reach out to bless them and to love them. Mind-blowing. This is not how we do things in Rome. He's saying, if he's, feed him, if he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a Dr. Pepper. That could do the trick. In doing so, you will be heaping uh, burning coals upon his head. Now, let me just clear this just in case. Anyone. This is not a loophole right here. This is not a way where you're like, ooh, if I can just find some tool of nicest, I can torment my enemy and, and put burning coals upon his head. <laughs> this is brilliant. Does that make any sense with the rest of the gospel? No. So, uh, so Proverbs being you know, written in poetic form, I believe it represents the convicted conscience uh, of the offender, right? So as you are nice to him uh, or her, they may feel full of shame or guilt or contrition as a result of being the recipient of such undeserved kindness. And so that is the key because love is always redemptive, always calls you back. It's not punitive. Punitive is like, you're done, you're end of me. This is it. We go no further. God's love always is redemptive. And so the guidance of God, what brings us to repentance, and that's what showing love to your enemies can do. Now, I do know that there are times and occasions when you do have to stand up, right, and fight back against injustice. There are times you have to do that. You can't always just lay down. There are times that you do have to get a lawyer. There are times when you have to stand up. So, and if you don't know the difference between the two, find some good godly counsel, and we will help you that. But Paul here is talking about the, the attitude of the heart, when it comes down to the attitude of your heart, is your default vindictiveness or is it one of grace and love? Good. You want to put the last grade in there? So I don't know how you did, but that's between you and Jesus and whoever looked over your shoulder. But remember this. Uh, remember, even if, even if you scored poorly, remember, it's not about condemnation. Like, oh, man, I really stink at love. It's not about that. It's about an invitation to, to the real deal, the whopper, right? The whopper of love. It's time in view of God's mercy to come up and say, God, sanctify me and make me someone that loves like Jesus does. Amen. Well, take them with you and remember that in, in view of God's mercy, let our love be sincere and genuine and authentic for the glory of our great God and for the love of those in our lives, those both in the church and outside the church. Let's pray. 
Lord, we, we, we love you, we honor you, we thank you that we love because you first loved us. Lord, this, this, this command to love, it's a non-negotiable, it's not a suggestion. And lot, some of us are amazing at it and others have a long way to go. But I thank you that you meet us right where we are, right where our, whether we have a 4.0 or a 1.0 uh, on our GPA of love, God, that you meet us right there. And you said, let's do better. Let's be better lovers of humanity, uh, whether they're inside or outside the church. Holy Spirit, this is your work. Would you come in through the truth of your word and through the power of your spirit, sweet Jesus, and help us to love like you do. In view of your great mercy, how can we do any different? How can we do any different? Let love have its perfect work in us. For not just the betterment of others, but for the glory of your great name. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Uh, I'm going to ask the altar ministers to come up. If you have any prayer request, um, stay after the service and they will pray with you. If you want to bring your report card up to them, like, hey, can you pray right here? They would be glad to do that. Okay? Would you stand up and receive the benediction? The benediction today comes from Romans 15. And we'll get there in a couple of weeks. So receive this benediction uh, from Paul to the church uh, and from me to you. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may be, that you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, and have a great week, y'all. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.